Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk shoes. Recorded live. Makes no Whether you comprehend it, uh, understand it, like it or not, it's happening right now. And I can tell you right now, I guarantee that we're already shipping troops overseas. This is how America does it. They'll, they'll build up and they'll ship troops overseas at all these staging places that we have in the world uh, called military bases um, for preemptive strike because it doesn't cost as much to move them all at once if we was to move them from America over there. We, we, we actually start building up. And we already have a tentative date and a plan already in our minds for an attack. Now, they're not going to tell the soldiers because they know the soldiers, the first thing they'll do is they'll start going blabbing and telling family members, and family members will run the social media, and next thing you know, everybody's talking about it. But the news media is already up to it. Everybody is. In. And just by the mere fact of us speaking about it, it's just simply not going to stop it. I don't think for one minute that President Donald Trump is trying to improve race relations with anyone in the world, none whatsoever at all. As a matter of fact, he is establishing that that we are the world's lone superpower, period. And you will respect us. If you don't respect us as a people, you're going to respect our power and our military might. And I Ain't Obama. <laughs> I'm telling you. So. Brother Gavin? Hello. How you doing? Hey, how you doing, Brother Rod? I'm good, man. How was your birthday? Uh, my birthday was great. It was good. Thank you for yeah. asking, yeah. Yeah, cool. How your people doing? I know New Orleans got some seven tornadoes, man. One day. Yeah. Uh, you all right? Yeah, well, um, I, my people are okay from 
Uh, I have a cut distant cousin that whose house was destroyed, but I don't think there's been any fatalities or anything. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's always a great thing. Yeah. But it's always a great thing. But, uh, you know, I live, my house that was in New Orleans wasn't affected. It actually was, uh, you know, it missed us by about a mile or so. So, I mean, I'm lucky for that. But, you know, that's still my neighborhood, man. And, you know, just a lot of, we've been going through a lot these last few years, man. So it's always something, but we're resilient and we'll fight back and we'll be back. Okay, well, brother, are you ready for the interview? Yeah, I'm ready. Just give me right. uh, two minutes. All right. Hey, Ron? I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. All right, excellent. What's All right, well, we all be on to have on the one and only social justice engineer, uh, Brother Gavin Richard. He's going to tell us what's going on in Louisiana and beyond his uh, beloved home state. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine, brother. How you been? I'm good, man. I was just checking in. I was hoping that everything was okay with you down there because I know you are a New Orleans native, and y'all recently had those okay. seven tornadoes come through okay. on Tuesday, which was your birthday. Happy belated birthday. Uh, thank you, brother. Uh, Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, everything. Thank you for having me on your show, and thank you for all the listeners out there. Uh, you know, just keep New Orleans in prayer right now with all of the tornadoes tornado that struck yesterday morning. Uh, you know, I had friends and family that are doing okay. They only suffered, some suffered minimal damage. Some, you know, uh, some people that I know of, they lost their homes. So it's, uh, you know, but we're resilient people and we'll be back. Yeah, I definitely are resilient. I also want to ask you about, thinking about natural disasters, what happened last year, the flood uh, last summer, in the aftermath of what happened with uh, Alton Sterling. Can you please remind us what, 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 what down in Baton Rouge with Alton Sterling? Well, yeah. Well, Alton Sterling, uh, that that actually happened right before the flood. Uh, mm-hmm. that, was in, that was actually the 4th of July uh, holiday when that took place. And if you remember, he was selling CDs outside of a corner store, and the police had gotten a phone call. He was... Uh, you know, obviously, and the tape I'm sure is on YouTube, and people that have seen it, you know, they tackled him to the ground, and they shot five shots into him and killed him. Now they tried to say he had a gun and so forth, uh, which even if he had a gun, you know, if the if the man was not threatening them, 
in any way. It's their life. If he didn't pull a gun out, all that. And obviously, if you look at the tape, Mr. Sterling is on the ground the mm-hmm. whole time. So, and they point had their gun pointed at him. So, uh, it wouldn't make sense for anybody to go for a gun if you have two guns on you. And you know, the likelihood is you're going to get shot. And I, you know, obviously, unfortunately, there's a point where the video turns away. But you could clearly see Mr. Sterling was on the ground and he was shot. And as of this moment, uh, the Department of Justice, the feds have been the ones that have taken over the case, not the state, which basically tells me that it's going to be, uh, I really believe there's going to be a no charge. Okay. In my so, opinion, I just because just I know how the bastard thinks. Well, you're, you're a legal guy. You're a lawyer, correct? Yeah, I am. So, you know, you're a man of many talents, and you got a lot of insight. And, uh, oh, actually, you know, it's a lot of things that, you know, we talk about this era of fake news and alternative facts. I want to know what's going on down there in the ground. Because you said there's a lot of things happening that are not being publicized, you know, that, that is not well known outside of Baton Rouge or Louisiana. Can you tell us what's going on right now down in your home state? Oh, what specifically? Uh, like, the, I guess with, uh, you talked about the Austin Sterling thing, but also some other cases. I get that, uh, that road rage incident with the brother, the former football player. You about Joe McKnight. Yeah, right. well, interesting about, well, interesting about him, uh, what's happened now, they have, uh, which I was uh, shocked but uh, I guess happy at, is that the shooter has been, uh, I can't think of his name, but he was actually, the charges were actually amended to second-degree murder. Mm. Uh, but you see, Jefferson Parish, I'm going to give you a little history about it. It's one of the most racist, low-down places if you're a black person to be in. You know, that area, and I'm talking specifically about, I'm not talking about everybody else, but I'm speaking specifically about the police department uh, in Jefferson Parish. They've had a history of harassing minorities. I distinctly remember, you know, the sheriff of Jefferson Parish was Harry Lee. And I don't know if you've heard of him, but Harry Lee was, uh, you know, this old Korean dude that he didn't like blacks. And, in fact, he tried to put up a barricade from Jefferson Parish and Orleans Parish to keep, you know, of course they would say to keep out the criminals, but that's cold word for black people. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, they wanted to actually name the bridge, on the Crescent, I think, the Crescent City Connection after him, which I'm glad it failed. It didn't go through. So, uh and then you had the sheriff, if you were watching the press conference after the Joe McKnight shooting, he basically sounded like uh, this guy's uh, defense attorney. <laughs> mm. If you remember, you were listening to it. Did you hear it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was out there talking about, you know, he was defending him, basically saying, you know, we have discretion and we can do such and such. The discretion is not for you. The discretion is for the prosecutor. But the prosecutor wants to... Uh, you know, amend the charge and wants to get a charge of second degree murder. But if a guy admits he shot a man who was unarmed, you have enough to make an arrest. Mm. You know, and he should have been arrested because, he, Brother Ron, you know as well as I do that if the roles were reversed, this white boy, if I killed a white boy or killed a white man, excuse me, that I would be in jail without question with my face on the TV news. This man was allowed several days to get his affairs in order mm-hmm. and, you know, they virtually, uh, you know, hire whatever attorney he wanted and so forth, and they gave him a manslaughter charge. Now, the question is, will the charge stick? That depends on what the jury finds, and they're the finder of fact. 
you know, it's interesting, the law that we have in Louisiana uh, when it comes to self-defense is called justifiable homicide. And basically, if you if a person reasonably believes that they're in imminent danger, uh, you know, of serious bodily injury or imminent death, they do have a right to, you know, self-defend themselves and to take that other person's life if it's necessary. But the question is, what's reasonable? You know, you getting a road rage incident and him coming up to the door, is that reasonable enough that you fire several shots into it? You know, yeah. and I don't want to try, and of course, you know, that's up for the court to decide, but we just knew when he wasn't, when he was not arrested immediately, as we see with other cases, like for instance in Louisiana with the Cardell Hayes shooting, when Cardell Hayes and Will Smith got into it, which is a road rage incident, Cardell was arrested immediately. And the Will Smith guy was a former football player as well, correct? Right, he's a former Saints player, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I don't know, the shooter for Joe McKnight, his name is Ronald Gasser or Gasser or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's. I mean, Okay, so, like, you don't think that's kind of strange that these type of road rage incidents happen with former NFL football players? What do you think that's about? Is that a conspiracy? Or, I mean, what's your take on that? I, I don't know about that part. I, I just think that, you know, people just go crazy when they get cut off the road, whether they knew they were a football player or not. But I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. You've had Will Smith killed, and now you've had, Say now you've had uh, Joe McKnight killed, although there are different circumstances that involve each case. And, you know, I don't know all the facts and circumstances, for instance, with Gasser and McKnight, but we do know that McKnight was unarmed. We do know that uh, McKnight, you know, you know, they was cut, you know, he had supposedly cut this guy off, but that's not a reason to take someone's life either. Right. So is it, is it really that upsetting that you would actually – fire gunshots into someone over road rage incidents. Some of this stuff could have been avoided, even with, I think, with Will Smith saying, but with Will Smith saying, you know, he was driving drunk, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and there was a lot of circumstances involved with that I was following. Like, I didn't know when I was reading the report, they said there was gunshot residue on his hand. Will Smith's hand? Oh, Yeah. So you feel like that the guy shot might have shot him in self defense or something like that, or they were just well, engaged in shootout. His out? defense attorney, his defense attorney, uh, John Fuller, was alleging that Cardell had shot out of self defense because Will was he thought Will was going for a gun and he turned his back. And I've heard that that there was a second gun in the car, but uh, unfortunately for Cardell, nobody was able to prove that. We only and uh, when they called the expert on the stand who said they shot a gunshot residue, she said it could have also come from a previously discharged firearm. So maybe he touched his firearm that had been fired, I don't know, or whether there was a second gun. I do know that they uh, they had someone in the car, and it wasn't really Will Smith that was instigated. It was his stupid-ass friends that were instigating the whole thing. Mm. You know, he was, but he shouldn't have been driving drunk, and, you know, I don't think, you know, it shouldn't got to a point where I don't even think Cardell could have pulled his gun out. You know, you know all of that. Yeah, that's a different way of looking at it. Yeah, I didn't like that. Kind of like you tell me all this information. I kind of look at the case differently now. Yeah, that's fascinating. Wow. Well, I want to ask you because you are an expert about what happened 
you know, you're a survivor, you're resilient, but you also, you, you know, you was a part of what happened to Hurricane FEMA or Katrina. And I want to get your thoughts on, you know, you know like, you know, we like almost I like 12 years. I like the name, Ron. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you, you, I mean, but I know it's real close to you because you wrote this, this very great detailed book about, you know, the aftermath of Katrina. You interviewed uh, law enforcement officials, uh, witnesses, survivors, even Dick Gregory um, for your, you know, your wonderful book. What is the unfinished business with, uh, with Katrina? Are there any unfinished things that need to be addressed? Well, oh, most definitely. Most definitely. We need to account for why several hundred million dollars was allocated to the hardest hit areas, which were mostly black and never went to those areas. That's one question mm-hmm. we got to ask. We got to ask why money that was for, there was a project that here in Louisiana called the Gozone Project that was allocated to New Orleans, I believe it was New Orleans Eastern, uh, even parts of Baton Rouge, but and uh, the Lower Night War, but that money went elsewhere. And I distinctly remember that because there was an article in the Baton Rouge Advocate on my birthday, uh, about five or several, five or six years ago, maybe. And they were talking about that. So that's some of the undissolved business that we've had, whatever happened to all of that money. And when you go back to even parts of New Orleans, like even just talking about New Orleans East area, you still see blighted buildings. Uh, there are still homes that have not been you know, that are blighted, that have not been redeveloped and inhabitable. You know, we have problems with uh, police protection. We also have problems now uh, with the hospital that has been set up there. The hospital that they had previously was a full emergency room. What they have here is not a level, uh, I've talked to you about this before, it's not a level one hospital. And by the American College of uh, Surgeons, there are different levels to each hospital. You have a level one to level four, and level four being the weakest, and this hospital is around a level four. Uh, you know, they can't even, to my knowledge, they can't even birth babies over at this place. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the stuff that's going on. So it is fascinating. Like, we just got through eight years of President Obama, and, uh, you know, this has been like Katrina happened almost 12 years ago, and now we got this new presidential regime in with Donald Trump. Uh, can black folks get anything done under these, I guess, current state of politics? Can we do anything to help, you know, like rectify what happened with Katrina? And like you said, all the issues that need to be addressed. Can black folks get if anything we were, If we're able to allocate and put an agenda together and put our money together, we can solve our issues ourselves. The problem is we get to bickering and fighting and sometimes we get you know, like Tariq Nasheed says, the coon train to come in to say things. Like, for instance, when we talk about, let's, let's take Hurricane Katrina off the table. Let's talk about reparations, for mm-hmm. instance. Do you know that President Obama publicly was, and in the last, one of the last press conferences he gave, or interviews he gave with NPR, he gave out a reason why reparations shouldn't be granted to black people. He said it's, pro, you know, he said it's understandable, but it's not probable. Did you hear that? All right. Oh, I heard excerpts of that. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, my thoughts about it is, is that President Obama approved $550 million to Native American groups, uh, according to the Harvard Institute. He fought for the rights of gay people. He even went as far as having his uh, attorney general uh, read a letter and telling every school across the country if they don't allow 
transgender to use the bathroom of their choice in any school, and we're talking from kindergarten all the way through high school, they can lose their funding. He said that. So I just find it, I find it very interesting that the so-called first black president can fight for every other group, but when it's black people, he's quiet. Mm. Wow. And part of that is our fault because we didn't ask him for anything. You know, uh, I was listening to Jeff Brown on uh, Joe Williams' show, and he said something very interesting. And I agree with him 100%. He said, say what you want about Donald Trump and how racist and misogynist or arrogant he is. He did something that Obama didn't do, that he mentioned the ghetto. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just, I don't really, so I mean, it is what it is, man. I knew once he got in office, when President Obama was in office, I knew that you couldn't talk to anybody about him. You couldn't say a negative word. And it's not really about being negative. You're just trying to get what you want out of the politician. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You don't ever worship somebody because they're black or white. I don't care what he looks like. You know, he didn't. I listened to. Uh, I was listening to your show with Judge Joe Brown, and how he was talking about if you're the first, you know, regardless of whether he would get hurt or assassinated or what. If you didn't want to be president, then he should. You wanted to be president, you chose to run. Then you got to do something. Right. If you if you that scared, don't run. You know, you know, even with the HBCU situation, they saying Donald Trump is thinking about doing some sort of HBCUs you now, especially black colleges and universities. And Obama, they were getting defunded. You know, so like he wasn't trying to do anything right. with HBCU. Right, and but if you talk to people about it, they try to make up whatever excuse they can. He was actually uh, about to be sued by the HBC, uh, according to the HBCU Digest. Howard University tried to sue him. Wow. They, because what he did was he was changing, when you talk about defunding, he was actually changing the policy, for instance, when how you get federal loans. And mm-hmm. so as a result of that, when you had, for instance, people that were going to Howard, they had to drop out because it would be too expensive for them to go there. When you saw his, did you see his, uh, when he came to Baton Rouge this past uh, winter, Mm-hmm. Of 2016, uh, this early last year, the kids were asking a kid at some southern asked him about protecting HBCUs, and his response was, "Well, we understand their, you know, historic and so forth, but if they're not graduating anybody, then, you know, I'm just paraphrasing, but he said something along those lines. Well, if the numbers are not correct, it doesn't make sense to keep giving money to them. That was his position. So." Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of people, and some people were upset about it that he said that because he was totally unprepared and cut off. You see, he's, when he can give speeches, you know, great. He knows what to say. When you ask him a question, you can't get a direct answer out of it. So he's more like an actor, as Judge Joe Brown would say, rather than a real politician or a decision-maker? Well, all politicians are active in some way. So I feel mm-hmm. like, yeah, he was—he definitely was putting on somebody. He definitely is not putting on our, he's not reading from my script. <laughs> right, exactly. But you know what? It's like black folks, we treat our, I mean, we as a group, I don't say as individuals, but we as a group treat our politics like church without their feel-good experience. It's, yeah. it's an emotional feel-good. It's not really something that don't give us results at the end of the day because 
once you leave church, you still got bills to pay. You still got a lot of other headaches to deal with. So, like, you know, it's like for that moment, it's like a feel good. It's like a sort of type of weird comfort food, which is really self-destructive. Right. Well, uh, you're absolutely right on that point. It's definitely like that because I feel like when we, yeah, what we often do is we'll go out and tell people to go vote, but we don't ever tell them what to go vote for. Like when we watch here in Baton Rouge, for instance, okay, we had the governor's race. We were running against, John Bell Edwards was running against David Vitter. David Vitter is Republican, John Bell Edwards is a Democrat. And same thing even with the mayor only. We elected our first black female mayor, uh, Sharon Weston Broome. I wish her the best of luck. But here's my thing. Let's go back to the governor's race, and I'm just giving an example. Mm-hmm. John Bell, that was David Vitter, Ron. Whenever you listen to the black radio stations, they always play a 15 or 30 second ad with uh, scary music behind the Republican uh, voice and campaign. And they always push and endorse the Democrats. Now, John Bell Edwards is a Democrat, and he's had to overcome a lot. I think he's done good. But John Bell Edwards just signed uh, the hate crime bill, Blue Lives Matter, police officers. And you just had, uh, in this past legislation in Louisiana, they made resisting arrest under that bill a felony. Resisting arrest is now a felony. It's not a misdemeanor. And it's basically applied. It definitely has free speech issues because it's applied basically to protesters. And if you were to say, for instance, you know, you said something to the officer or you approached the officer in any way after the under that bill, which is to protect the police officer, they can arrest you for resisting arrest. Which I think should be outlawed anyway because it's natural when you get arrested to resist because you forces resist. It's uh, taken away. Your uh, right to leave is restricted. Mm-hmm. Your right to movement is restricted. That's what an arrest is. It's a seizure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is crazy, man. You started the insanity of it all. I'm thinking about when you read that to me. Are we not in reality, under martial law, then? Is this not a police state already? Well, most definitely we've been a police state. We've been a police state for a long time. Uh, we've been overtaken by a new form of government for the last 50, I would say 55 years, ever since the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You know, when that happened, that's when everybody in America should have been up in arms, When especially when they found out that um, the House Select Committee said it was a probable conspiracy. Mm. Same thing with Dr. King's assassination, yeah. That's but you know, why do you think it is? Like, you feel like, um, I want to say, I mean, it's like people are so complacent. Like, right now, I'm in Memphis, and they're trying to closing down 33 historically black schools. You know, the very well-known schools in the community. And it seems like the people, the response has been very lethargic, that people are out of it, that black people in particular are tired with battle fatigue for whatever reason. Like, I, mean, I mean, it might not be, I know there's people out there working on stuff. You know, we all know there's black folks out there doing things, but it's like the overall uh, mindset of us is we're very beaten down and we're complacent, and really there's no hope. How, how you feel about the move right now? What's your well, I mean, I think people are lethargic in general because when we see things, 
you know, we have a we have a society right now that we're so complacent and accepting of things. We don't ever question stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, when you look at TV shows now, it's mind numbing. Like the right. number one, sh- okay, like uh, the number one show in America, Empire. Look at the way that they portray the black family. Look at Love and Hip Hop. Mm-hmm. Like this is what our girl. This is what our daughters and sons got to look up to. When I was a kid growing up, you know, we had quality programming, like a different world, like Cosby Show. We had Family Matters, Fresh Prince, shows that they had comedy. I mean, they were funny, but they also had a storyline behind it. There was something good. Uh, You know, a lesson was learned. But now, today, you don't have that. And I feel when it comes to what you're saying about the movement and so forth and people being lethargic, I think in general, people are just complacent with getting by. Um, you know, and it's, it's not just black, it's white too. Right. I think that unless they see things on social media now, because social media determines everything, that's when you see all of these kids jump up and fight for something and they don't even know what the hell they're fighting for. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, uh, like when you look at, for instance, that feminist march that they had after Trump's inauguration, and mm-hmm. you know you have people fighting for abortion rights and so forth. How, do most people even know why abortion or how abortion became law in this country? Mm-hmm. I'll do say most people don't. <laughs> right, like uh, for instance, well, you already know who Margaret Sanger is. She was the founder of Planned Parenthood. Uh, mm-hmm. She was also a leading member of the eugenics movement here in America. Yeah. Not to mention also, uh, when abortion became legal in the United States, Ron, uh, Norma McCorvey, who is Jane Roe from Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. what she did and what they did was they, in order to get the American people behind, you know, reproductive rights, as they call it, and behind with it to making abortion legal, they, in her, you know, statement before the court, in a statement of fact, she stated that she was raped by a gang of black men. And that's mm-hmm. how all of that changed. Wow. Yeah, that, yeah, did, I don't know if you knew that, but that's really no, how I didn't all know of that. Wow. Yeah. It's been well, then, was, it, was she telling the truth or was she lying? She was lying her ass off. She got pregnant. She got pregnant by, she had a third pregnancy, and because she was scared, she wanted to, didn't know what to do. She got approached by uh, some people from the abortion, I don't know what groups it were, but it was one of these, it may have been NARAL. I'm not, I don't want to say the wrong thing, give the wrong information, but. Mm-hmm. They tried to convince her to go before the court and, you know, fight this so that she can uh, have an abortion, which she did. actually she didn't. And believe it or not, she's actually a born-again Christian, and she's repented, you know, from the stuff, from the lie that she did. But her lies cost the lives of 57 million babies, some of whom, if you're talking about a woman's choice, most of them are, most of the, the babies that are aborted are girls. Mm. I know I was hearing something uh, that people said a lot of, of black babies were aborted as well, millions of black babies. Yeah. Like, so 
I mean, what's, what's your take on I me? Mean, we know I, 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 it's interesting uh, conundrum because I know people say that they're pro-life, but when the babies get here, I didn't really pro-life. I mean, we live in a very uh, inhumane system. In the sense where it relates to black people, so is abortion not, is it a necessary evil in a system like this? No, it's, it's evil in general. Mm-hmm. It's, there, it's, there, it's there to control the population. Right. It's not here for, like, just like I, I believe now, even though there's been homosexuality has been going on for thousands of years, I think the reason why it's so propagated and promoted is because there is a push by uh, people in power to keep the population under control. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you read the uh, National Security Memorandum 200, they had talked about abortion being used in all of these countries where you find most of the people of color to keep the populations under control. Mm-hmm. And I think even uh, I was listening to Dr. Umar, he even mentioned they talked about alternative lifestyles as well. Uh, mm-hmm. in that. And that was Henry Kissinger who drew that up. Mm-hmm. So I just, it, yeah, I mean, just look at the TV shows you have now, man. <laughs> well, a lot of that is being pushed to every ETQ. Uh, yeah. there some people call it being very much pushed. And it's, it's called programming for a reason. <laughs> right, it's television. It's, the real definition isn't television, it's television programming. Right, right. So, me, so you saying? Go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. Ask your question. No, I was saying so. We could easily say that abortion, homosexuality, and war are means of population control. Oh, sure, absolutely. Okay. Now, of course, people individually, when they think about that, because they may practice that, they feel no, that's true. But I'm looking at what they wrote, what the government official wrote in this memorandum. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at when he t- purposely targeted or mentioned several countries. I believe three of them happened to be on the African continent. The others were in South America. And most mm-hmm. of the people in those regions are black or people of color mm-hmm. or dark complexion. Mm-hmm. You know, if you didn't mention, he didn't mention Russia. He didn't mention uh, France. He didn't mention... Germany, Italy, they didn't mention them. They didn't mention any continent or country, excuse me, on Europe. So, you know, it's clear. Just look at the, and like I say again, look at the TV shows you have now. Look at the, even the networks, the news networks that we have now. They really push it. That is, they really push it. Like, uh, there's a show like the show on um, Fox, Empire. They have another show called Star with the white girl right. uh, that's in lead. Right. And they have a transvestite on the show. And that's Lee Daniels' spinoff. Lee Daniels created all that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Lee, Lee Daniels actually, you know, he fucked up in the head. <laughs> I've, I've watched I've tried to watch several of his movies before, and I, just given the things he has said, he had a movie once in 2007 that he made with Cuba Gooden Jr. and I believe it was Ellen Mirren. And yeah. right, Shadow Boxer. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I 
really didn't watch the movie, but basically, I think Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character, they're assassins, and they're also lovers, but Cuba Good, but she's also his mother or stepmother of some kind. Yeah, yeah. She's very yeah. old. What kind of bullshit is that? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, Cuba, I really, has Cuba Gooding Jr. been in any, I know he was in OJ's story, but uh, have you seen him in any movie? Like he was any movie that's grossed over a hundred million dollars, or any movie lately that was Oscar nominated. Uh, was he in the Butler or something? Another lead in the movie. Was he in the Butler? Yeah, he was in the Butler. Yeah, I mean, nah, like, that's a good point. I mean, I've seen him in dresses, uh, makeup. I haven't. It's been a while since the Boys in the Hood, man. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since he. It's been a while since he screamed, Ricky. Yeah, Jerry Maguire, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, and those were, and I got to make this point, too, is that back in the late, I was born in 86, but Mm -hmm. I can remember the late 90s and, I'm sorry, the late 80s, early 90s. During that time, you had, like, the movies that came out, like Boys in the Hood, you had quality movies that appealed Mm -hmm. to our generation and our youth, but there was a lesson behind all of that. Right. Like, when you watch uh, Menace to Society, as mm-hmm. bad as a movie as it was, I guess, for portraying gang violence, but that was a reality, you also saw, in the end, while the main lead character, the hero, dies, right. in the movie, he goes back and flashes back to all of the stuff that he did. And if he could take it back, he would. Mm-hmm. There was a lesson behind that. There was a lesson behind... Uh, Boys in the Hood, when you saw Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character, when he was about to go with Ice Cube to go kill the rival gangsters for killing Ricky, he steps out of the car in the last minute. And right. he walks, goes to his father's home, to Lawrence Fishburne's home, and they don't say anything, but he learned his lesson. Mm-hmm. And he went to, and he ended up going to more, what, Morehouse College, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ice Cube died in the, two weeks later after that. So there was so, and furthermore, even when you look at another movie, I like that uh, Cuba wasn't in this one. But you remember uh, Higher Learning? Oh yeah, definitely was doing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When uh, Ice Cube and Buster Rhymes fought the and uh, Omar Epps, they fought the rednecks, the Nazis. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Buster Buster went Big Bang Theory on all of them. <laughs> Flip mode squad. <laughs> that's right that's right yeah yeah but, but yeah my point is is that there's certainly yeah there's certainly an agenda I think in Hollywood news media that doesn't want that type of we don't see that anymore because that's not what they want to push mm-hmm. that's, yeah. I mean, wow I'm asking this about uh, Donald Trump I'm mean, your point of view from a legal standpoint and I'll say this just from your unique perspective about the, uh, they call it the Muslim ban, but really, I mean, a, I guess, travel ban on certain groups of people from certain countries. Right. And, uh, so, I mean, like, you know, Donald has been doing so much in the first two weeks that he has done more in the first two weeks than Obama has done in his first term, it seems. <laughs> in office. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what's your thoughts about that travel ban and the, the, the well, legal process to appeal it? Well, I think that, well, right now it's on appeal, uh, I believe, in the Ninth Circuit in Seattle uh, from a judge who 
the federal first federal judge, he struck it down, and now it's on appeal. And it sounds like, based off, I was listening to the oral arguments a little bit yesterday. It sounds like they might uh, side with Trump, but it, and then I think it's going to go all the way to the Supreme Court. The thing with uh, the ban that I find is that it has, even though it doesn't say it's a Muslim ban, it does have seem to be very vague mm-hmm. uh, and broad. And you had people with quality with active real who were not terrorists clearly that had visas, valid visas, and they weren't allowed into the country. I think even the guy from uh, who's the runner for the in England, I can't think of his name, black dude. Mm. He lives in Seattle. You know what I'm talking about? He's an Olympic runner. No, I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, I'll look it up. Yeah, he's a dude. He usually runs the marathon. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he runs for England, United Kingdom. Okay. Yeah, he was out of the... Yeah, he couldn't come back in, but I I didn't have corrected it. But, I mean, but another thing, too, when Obama was president, he did have these countries. They weren't on a ban, but they were on a list, potentially... I guess to, uh, for terrorist watch, and he, he hurt, you know, he didn't act on it, but they could have been easily uh, forbidden to come in as well. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't know that and don't talk about that. So what Trump is doing, he's actually acting on it. I mean, you can say this about the guy. He certainly is not a politician because he has not gone back on his word about what he was going to do. Right, this is like, I respect that. And an Olympian was named Mofara. That's his name. He was Somalian, as well as the yeah. biggest citizen. Mofara, yeah, they let him in. They let him back in. But, yeah, see, yeah, that is unique, though. That's why I say, like, you know, regardless if you love or hate him or whatever, he is trying to attempt everything he said he would do on the campaign trail. Right. He is well, attempting like to the, do that. I like what the brother was saying on the Williams show. He said he mentioned something that President Obama didn't do for eight years that he was in office, and that's black, and that's the ghetto. Mm-hmm. Trump is actually, you know, whether you find him sincere or not, I don't know about that. That's a stretch, but he's talked about the crime in Chicago. He talked about him putting a stop to it. He talked about even helping uh, like the historical black colleges and universities, which is something that we didn't get from President Obama. Believe it or not, as bad as Ronald Reagan was for black people, did you know Ronald Reagan signed executive orders to protect historical black colleges and universities? I had no idea. I know he did the King Holiday thing. I mean, it was a little complex thing. Yeah, he did. He did, mm-hmm. believe it or not. But uh, Wow, okay. He did. I've read it uh, somewhere that he had signed executive orders. You know, I just wish, you know, we could have gotten that out of, you know, the president. Uh, Obama, but you know, it is, he's out of office now, and you know, he missed a good opportunity. I mean, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening, brother. Guy, go ahead. You know, he had at one point. You know, he had control of the uh, Congress and Senate. You know, that would have been a perfect time for him to. <laughs> it's not the fact that, like, for instance, even if. He had an opportunity to appoint black justices to the Supreme Court. And even if they weren't uh, confirmed by the Senate, the fact is is that he didn't try. Mm -hmm. You know, but I listened, you know, and I've listened to and looked at some of the people he appointed, 
if you look at the two candidates that he, the two justices he has, Sotomayor and Kagan, you know, uh, basically, I guess they, you could say they're left wing and so forth. But most of the time, I find, you know, of course, it's really more pro LGBT or pro uh, white women that they represent. That they uh, that they represent. Like when you look at affirmative mm-hmm. action, affirmative action doesn't benefit black people now; it benefits white women. Mm. We don't talk about that, though. You know, you look at the laws that have been changed, mostly during uh, President Obama's presidency during the eight years. Most of it was for, you know, white women, pro-LGBT. It was for Hispanics with the immigration laws. And by the way, for the record, if I saw the video, even President Obama talked about uh, strengthening immigration laws back in 2014. Mm-hmm. Well, he deported almost three million illegal immigrants during his presidency. Mm-hmm. Nobody, it, it, it was like it was not talk about you know why he was in the office, but at the office, nobody you think the media does a poor job. Well, I'm sorry. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think it wasn't talked about? Because he was Obama. I mean, it, it, it played favorites with Obama. I mean, I think a lot of things. It's a love affair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, so you think, do you think the, the, the media, go ahead. He was the guy that came after uh, George W. Mm-hmm. And George W. did so much of a, a terrible job that even the racist rednecks were uh, going for president, were voting for Obama. But you remember, they actually had a group called Rednecks for Obama back in 08 when he was running. So because he was, the way he was talking, how he carried himself, people fell in love with that. They were suffering. So when you, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in a car accident, like if you get in a car accident and you hurt and you can't move and someone's trying to get you out and they're talking to you and calming you down, you don't care what that person looks like. You didn't mm-hmm. want to get out of that situation. That's what Obama was for a lot of people. He was calm and Joe cool, you know, how he carried himself and a lot of people you know, they fell in love with that. Now, to answer your question, you asked, do I think the media does a bad job? Uh, I think they do. Um, you got to realize something, too. There's no such thing as free press anymore. You know, mm-hmm. everything now, it, it everybody's bought by corporations. I think when you look at, um, for instance, let's look at CNN and what was happening during the Democratic National Convention and what was happening with the uh, race between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton debated one night, and Hillary Clinton clearly lost. And what did CNN put on their website? Or what were the pundits saying? Oh, Hillary was outstanding. She was great. She gave a great speech. But she lost. Mm -hmm. Everybody saw it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they were pushing, you know, they were clearly pushing for Hillary uh, to get this nomination and to get the presidency. When you watch, um, you know, when you read the WikiLeaks and you see what was released about Bernie Sanders, how they were trying to, the superdelegates and people in the Democratic uh, committee were trying to get him out of the race, you know, calling him dangerous and so forth, not taking him seriously. You had, uh, even in the Democratic, how it relates to us as black people. They were even talking about Black Lives Matter 
and how when these, you know, Democrats meet with Black Lives Matter activists, they actually say don't promise them anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what happens when you keep getting taken for granted. And you keep voting and voting for people, but you don't get anything out of it. People are going to take you for granted. Do you know that? And I'm just to get back to the media, but I want to make this point, too. I was listening to Dr. Boris Watkins. Do you know that uh, Claude Anderson, you know who he is? Dr. Right. Claude Anderson? Mm-hmm. I've had his book, Power Economics. He actually approached both the Democratic the Democratic Party and the Republican Party about reparations for black people. And guess who listened and guess who didn't want to even talk to him? Mm. The Republicans listened to him, but the Democrats told him to get the hell out of here. This right. is before the election. Mm. So, but yeah, but uh, yeah, but that's what they do. And they put these shields, and I mean, it, it resists on Fox News too, because Fox News clearly is for Republicans and they state lives, but, you know, CNN doesn't, is not that honest either. And look at what they did, and don't get me started on what they did with MSNBC and how they fired all of these black anchors. Yep, yep. It's been a purge. Look at, uh, right, they did a purge. Uh, and you know why they did that is because now that President Obama is out of office, there's no longer a need for black anchors on these shows. Like you saw what happened with Tamron Hall on the Today Show, and they dumped her for, was it Megyn Kelly from Fox? Yeah, right. And what the hell is that about? Was it, mm. She's not impressive? Yeah. She's not, she was one. She was a nasty. She was a nasty witch. <laughs> I, remember yeah. her, was, I think it was her and D.L. Hughley that was. Was it her and D.L. Hughley that went back and forth? I don't know about me. To me, I never saw her as a real journalist. I mean, she was like, I can't do it. Right, right. She sued Rupert Murdoch and she quit Fox because uh, I think she was fired, but she sued Rupert Murdoch for. Uh, Harassment, I believe. That's what happened. But, yeah, they were the yeah, She slept with all the L's. I, I just like, something about her, though. You're so similar. It's like, she's like, I don't know, very manipulative or something like that. Like, I didn't really buy the narrative with her around the L's. I mean, I think, you know, that was a mental one thing. And then I thought, all of a sudden, he's, uh, you know, harassing. I don't know. I'd look at it more as an opportunity. Oh, Megan Kelly? Yeah, a master opportunity. Yeah. Well, I mean... I just find there's nothing special about her that tells me or warrants it why this uh, Taylor Hall should have been fired, even though I don't watch the Today Show anyway to begin with. But still, right. you know, you like to see, you know, whenever you see a sister on there, and clearly she's talented, she's talented, she was a great interviewer. You know, I just didn't see the need why she would be fired. How did that? They made an offer, though. They made a multi-million dollar, multi-year offer. I get that. Well, not the uh, Tamara Hall. She walked away from it. Oh, she walked away from it, and that's the message they push it now. No, she didn't walk away from it. I don't buy that. Mm. I I don't buy that at all. I think that they fired her. They want to bring Megan Kelly on because if you just look at what's happened with NBC, they had Tamara Hall, they had Melissa Harris Terry, uh, they had Al Du Sharpton. And Joy Reid, she was good. Joy Reid, Joy Reid, yeah. And all those shows are now. Where are they now? 
I mean, because Obama was out of the office, right? It was, it was, they needed their right. Obama. Yeah. You know, you're no longer needed, nigga. Mm-hmm. That's what they're telling you. You are no longer needed. And that's what, that is why, and that is even more important why, why black people need to form and put an agenda together, put their money together and create their own network, their own story so that we can record, we can report our own storylines. And we had, you know, BET at one point did that when they had BET News, but, you know, Bob Johnson sold BET, although some people say he was forced to sell BET. Uh, <laughs> you know, we had uh, Tavis Smiley, you know, was on there. And I remember when they fired him from the show. That was big news then because Tavis was a well-respected journalist to us, you know? Well, I looked at the way they, they phrased that was that they just didn't renew his contract. And he might have thought well, it was a firing, but they didn't renew it. I guess the same thing. I don't know. No, they got, what it was was that they got fired. He got fired because he he was doing, he did some type of interview and he sold it to ABC instead of selling it to CBS. Because CBS is owned by Viacom, which is by, right. which is now owned, which now owns not only BT, but also Nickelodeon, VH1, MTV, MTV2. Mm-hmm. The box, which used to be the box, and yeah, I the box, yeah. centric, yeah, centric, yeah. Mm-hmm. All of that is owned. See, BT is not really a black, it's not a black owned network for black people. It's uh, targeted towards black people. Right. Yeah, that's the difference. But about, you know, TV One is black owned. Although I hear there are some whites that are on the board, the trustees. I don't know too much about that, but. TV One, I find their programming is good. Mm-hmm. You know, I know they have Bounce TV, but Bounce TV is basically it's a small network. It actually, you know, they do have some shows on there, but they, you know, they still got to keep growing. Right. Yeah. But hey, man, hey, we had a stronger black media president, a more critical President Obama. Do you think things would be different right now if we had one that was more critiquing instead of being on a quote-unquote love affair? Well, I, do I think things would have been different? I think that if we had had, I if we had had, I don't want to just say it would be the black media just um, in general. I think if we had had black leadership combined with that, that things might be a little bit different. If we still had an agenda, if we came together and had an agenda to put behind him and then go on to uh, a black news network, let's say Roland Martin, because even Roland Martin, to an extent, he had been critical of the president on a lot of issues. Uh, you know, he was critical about the HBCU thing. He was also critical about the Democrats. Uh, he was even critical about... Uh, and this is another subject, but he was critical about these feminist groups when you saw all of these black women getting shot. You saw a little black girl, if you remember, in Texas that had the cop put his knee on her back. Yeah. She was in a bikini. Yeah. yeah he called out both, both uh, Roland Martin and D.L. Hughley called out, you know, the National Organization for Women because they didn't say anything. They didn't say anything. So... I think if we had combined that and we had some people that were critical and had an agenda, but also 
were to give constructive criticism of the president and say, this is, Mr. President, this is what we want, this is what we need to see, we don't need this and so forth, then I think, yeah, maybe it might have, if we had that combined, I think it could have been different. But you got to realize, too, uh, Ron, they had a lot of gatekeepers in the White House that didn't want to hear anything about a black agenda. You know, they didn't want that. Uh, I think, you know, uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins was talking about how he would be there when uh, President Obama first got, you know, was first starting off and he was getting elected and how excited he was. But he saw how and he was actually hanging out with Al Sharpton. And, when he, and he's not really a guy that's politically involved, but he saw some of the things that were going on. And he saw how, you know, Al Sharpton got, you know, invited to the White House, but Jesse Jackson wouldn't be invited. See, there was a reason behind that. There's a reason why not President Obama would invite Ben Jealous, Mark Morial, and a couple of others but they wouldn't even have serious conversations with the president. And even Mark Morial talked about how it was a wasted opportunity that they had for President Obama because they didn't get, they didn't present him with anything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason behind that. And you see it even now, look at the black radio station. Look at Tom Joyner. Mm-hmm. Tom Joyner has gotten asked now that President Obama is out of office in some networks. But he's still on the air, right? But he said he got pulled up. Well, he's still on the air, but I know, well, Steve Harvey took over some of his uh, spots. Like in New Orleans, for instance, uh, 98.5 WYLD used to be all time joiner, but now Steve Harvey got that. But mm. Tom has lost, yeah. But he, I think they would take, if there was an article in Your Black World, they were talking about how they were actually taking over. Uh, his actual show that he wasn't on it anymore, and he they were talking about him being pushed out. But you wow. see, during during that time, you know, Tom Joyner has been the biggest supporter of uh, one of the biggest supporters of Barack Obama, and that's when what both he and Cornell he had a fallout out with Travis Smiley and Cornell West. Steve Harvey the same thing, mm-hmm. but not Steve Harvey is getting his karma ever since he met with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And people's been calling him out. See, that's, Steve, Steve got in trouble, but, you know, he was just probably going up to see Donald Trump so he could get Mr. Trump to buy one of his loud suits. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all show your love for my sparkly tie. <laughs> <laughs> there you he wants to, to get his clothes out of raw. So, mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. But, yeah, but that's but that's what yeah, but that's what happens. We've had you know, if you remember when Travis was uh Cornell West was calling him out, Steve Harvey called them Uncle Tom's. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, Tom Joyner even insinuated that like Travis uh, was Cornell something along those lines like he he made words that you wouldn't say about a man. Like he was mm-hmm. questioning a man who yeah, he wrote an article about that. Something like they called him and saying he sounded like a jealous side piece when he talked about Obama. You know, that's and that, and you know, president. The president is the highest office in the land, and every president has had to deal with race. Every president has had to deal with an issue. I don't care if you're talking about Lincoln, 
when you talk about Washington, all the way to LBJ to George W. Everybody has to deal with it. Whether their policies were good or bad, they still had to deal with it. And so those brothers had every right to call them out and to say, Mr. President, this is what we want, or this is something better that you could do. And we didn't get that. And we were so angry and we were so defensive about protecting the president that, you know, we missed an opportunity. Yeah, sure did. I definitely agree with that. They were consistent with their criticism. But, uh, you know, it, it is what it is now. I mean, it's going to be interesting as time marches forward, how his legacy is actually, uh, you know, proceed or how it, how it looks. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, President Obama, got, he got both pros and cons to his legacy. But I guess it's all in the eyes of the historian now who will decide to write about it. But uh, my thing is, has any president really done anything for black people in your opinion? Well, I mean, I don't think there's been a president that specifically, if you want to talk about presidents that have done things for black people, there have been presidents whose policies have helped black people to get into certain positions. Certainly, when you look at Lyndon Johnson, I've listened to Judge Joe Brown, and Mm. what he said was true about uh, LBJ with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Uh, that was during a time when we didn't think uh, a lot of people thought he would be uh, critical of the civil rights movement, but he was actually a great ally to Dr. King. But at the same time, LBJ was a known racist because he, you have the tapes of him saying nigger and so forth, calling Malcolm X and Dr. King, uh, you know, the N-word, nigger, mm-hmm. as well as, uh, but I mean, he also passed these policies, too, that uh, we benefit from. Yeah. Same thing with, uh, you know, when you had Harry Truman, it's been speculated that Harry Truman was a Klansman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also desegregated the United States Army. Mm-hmm. You know, now we had Bill Clinton as president, and a lot of people, black people loved him, but Bill Clinton's crimes bill put more blacks in jail at an alarming rate. And if you watch the documentary 13th uh, that the sister who directed uh, Selma did. Uh, right. You can see all of the stuff that uh, the shit he's doing. But black people still praise him because he was on Arsenio Hall jamming on that saxophone. I just wrap it up. I'm going to enjoy talking to you. Uh, you know, people... Yeah, yeah, I, you, I know you're a great football fan. You're a fan of the Patriots. But people, you know, view the Patriots. The Patriots oh, wait, I need to correct you. I need uh, to correct you. I'm not, I'm a Saints fan. I'm not a fan of the Patriots. Oh, you're not a fan. I thought you were. I don't know. I'm a fan of anybody that beats Atlanta. Oh, gotcha. I gotcha. Okay, that's what it is. So I actually like, you know, about, you know, people look at the Patriots. They won this great comeback, and they won their fifth Super Bowl championship, and Tom Brady is the goal of quarterbacks. And, uh, my thing is, what's your thoughts about that? I just think the whole thing is rigged. I don't. I'm not. I'm not really tired of football anymore. I'm just tired of. I'm tired of professional sports acting like they're actually real doing real competition. Just embrace your wow. fakeness, like WWE. Just say that you're fake. Because look at the World Series. You have a team that's three one, and then all of a sudden the team that's down went three straight. Mm-hmm. And you look at this like Super Bowl. You have a 25 point lead, and now all of a sudden you have a meltdown. You can get out of play football. 
Yeah, yeah. Tom Brady just so happened to wear this. Yeah. What's your thoughts about this whole thing with sports? And uh, I don't know, man. What's your take on that, on the Super Bowl? I mean, I don't know about the – I certainly know there's such a thing as point shaving. Uh, I certainly know that there are people, obviously, you look at Pete Rose, who gambled, and so there's a lot of money behind it. In fact, I think the spread uh, for New England and um, Atlanta, they had New England at plus five, if I'm correct. So they made uh, six at the, in overtime. Mm-hmm. But I so I don't know about it being rigged, uh, so I mean, it's a possibility that certain things like that happen. I certainly know it can happen. I know Boxers take dives, right? You know, but uh, but that was an amazing, yeah. But that I never saw a game like that. Mm. Uh, not a super, a super Bowl like that where you had a team that blew a twenty-five point lead, and virtually everything that went right for New England started to go right when Tom Brady. If you look at the during the game, you notice he was uh. He was missing his targets wide off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it was during that, and he couldn't get set, and then all of a sudden they they took pressure. But even go back before that, when they had the – it was 12-28 with, like, five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And they had 26, 20 seconds left on the clock, and they're still running a play on the play clock and stop not letting the play go down, the time go down. Mm. I didn't. Yeah, I couldn't. I didn't understand it. I was just watching the game. You know, of course, I was rooting for Atlanta to lose, <laughs> but I was just sitting there watching it, and I was like, "Are they really doing this?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I'll let you know. I mean, like I know people. I look at them stuff online with Zachary Hubbard, the guy who's online. Um, you know, he does some with numerology and also with some other stuff uh, that he don't. You know, he really calls the games and stuff like that. He took my how the significance of number thirty-four. Like the score was uh, what was the score? Thirty-four. The Patriots won, and it was like Tom Brady's uh, score thirty-four. Thirty-four twenty-eight. Yeah. Yeah, that was his thirty-four career playoff game. You know, Paul Pierce he retired that day in Boston. The Boston Boston Celtic great. He wore the number thirty-four. So a lot of people look at these things with numbers and stuff, like 88 and 44 and stuff like that. And I don't want to get too much deep into it, but I, just, I let you know that, you know, it's something weird with that whole thing. Like, it seems like it's so scripted to me. Like, you know, yeah, it's like, like Rocky Marciano. It's like Rocky Marciano. He never lost a fight, but, you know, it was all mopped up. Boxing was mopped up. He was the Italian-American. Not saying that it takes away from his legacy, but, you know, he never lost a fight because who controlled the boxing world back then? The, the mafia. Right, you know. Well, well, I remember when he, uh interesting thing about Marciano was that Marciano actually, he fought, uh, when he fought Joe Lewis, Joe Lewis was almost 40 years old. Yeah, he was all he washed he up. Was, yeah. He was all washed up then. And he was basically fighting to keep the IRS off of his back. And Marciano was, uh, Joe, Lewis, Joe Lewis was uh, Rocky Marciano's hero. Mm-hmm. Man, Rocky Marciano, if you watch his fight, you know, he's a great power puncher, but, you know, they rigged and tried to do everything for him. Uh, I won't say rigged, but 
like when you watch, uh, they basically hype him up as the greatest, tried to hype him up as the greatest heavyweight at right. all time. Right. When in actuality, if you go back, he fought Jersey Joe Walcott, who was old, and Jersey Joe Walcott was beating him until Marciano caught him. As a child, he fought. He fought an old Joe Lewis, but they tried to have a, excuse me, a fight with uh, Ali and Marciano, a virtual fight, and he actually had Marciano winning, which I can't see happening. Really? No, <laughs> Ali in his prime. Okay, versus Rocky Marciano. As fast as Ali was, and his footwork. Oh, yeah. Marciano couldn't even be Tyson. Yeah, like, but he said, like, he was a very, he was a power puncher in the best of all time, but yeah. As far as being the greatest all time, I don't believe that either. I mean, he's a great, but yeah. But I mean, I mean, I even heard a story of Sugar Robinson, the great Sugar Robinson, uh, was told to throw a fight. He refused to do it, like by Frankie Carbo, Mr. Great, who was the guy who controlled Madison Square Garden boxing. They wanted him to throw a, a fight. He wouldn't do it. This is Sugar Ray right. Robinson. Yeah, Sugar Ray Robinson was the only man. Was the first man to win a. Uh, a middleweight cha- uh, different championship in five different classes. Five different yeah, that's a great, like, that's a goat right there to me. That's a goat. Yeah. And it can knock you out backwards, going backwards. If you go back and look at, um, I think when he fought Carmen Basilio, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I'm a boxing fanatic too as well. Mm-hmm. My grandfather, he actually used to uh, be a timekeeper at one time. Uh, oh, well, <laughs> And funny, funny thing about that, yeah, here in New Orleans, he was a uh, timekeeper, but they stopped him because he would let the fight go on the past three minutes because he was so into the fight, watching the black dude <laughs> with the white boy. <laughs> I like that. Like, you'd have five, basically a five-minute round. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah, but he, uh, yeah, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson fought, I think it was something Basilio, and in the seventh round, Sugar Ray was backing up, and he hit Basilio with a left hook, which they mm. call a perfect left hook in the dictionary. Mm. And if you saw a picture of it, you'd see Sugar Ray Robinson knocking his guy out. That's the GOAT. Mm. Fought in over 200 fights. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, Brother Gavin, what's the best way for the people to reach out to you if they want to connect with you uh, for interviews or whatever? You want to reach me, uh, people can contact me at my email. It's Gavin, G-A-V-I-N, Richard, R-I-C-H-A-R-D, at iPod.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at GavinRich2786. Uh, I also have a Facebook account with my name, Gavin Richard. So. Thank you, brother Richard. Uh, Richard, excuse me. The words great to be up to. We love you madly. Keep on producing and pushing. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And I uh, keep on, no, keep keep on doing what you're doing. I look forward to having you back on the show very soon. Yeah, brother, I really appreciate it. I love listening to the show, and I'm, I'm real proud of you, man. I'll tell you that's a honor. They go both ways. Yeah, we'll be doing some more shows together. Yeah, I, I look forward, and I gotta listen to when you do another show with Judge Joe because I, oh, we got, I like yeah, we got some stuff coming up for y'all. Man, we have to go start business, and we we'll let y'all yeah. know about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta watch. I gotta listen to him because uh, I was busting out laughing when he was talking about uh, John Lewis and uh, not attending Trump's inauguration. <laughs> yeah, man, you don't hold it. You know, Judge don't hold his tongue, man. He lets you know how he feel no. about that. 
Right. I, I just I got to leave on this note too. I, I want to ask you. I got a question: Is what did John Lewis or any of the congressional? And I respect John Lewis in his history, but in mm-hmm. general, what did the congressional black caucus do during the eight years that Obama was president? And then all of this stuff when you've had these black shooting black men, did they try to even propose legislation uh, for to the president to try and stop the race soldiers from killing young black men. Here's the Department of Justice. Could they have actually proposed some type of legislation or something where these cops get federal funding for equipment that if they don't cut it out, if they keep keep, keep these practices going, then we're going to start taking your funding. No, they do with throw away parties, man. No, they, they just right. keep parties for eight years. Yeah. You know, and... Right, and uh, most importantly, since Congressman Lewis did back Hillary Clinton, I would I would like to know what was his feelings about the super predator comment she made. I mean, John Lewis, though, man, I, I met him a couple times, Atlanta. Uh, I, I respect him. Uh, that's a good question to ask. But I, I look at the. I mean, I, I went to Selma back in 2015. Okay. Why are we celebrating what happened in Selma on the bridge? I mean, you look at Selma. Go to Selma right now, and you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah. Like, what was, what was the accomplishment? What was the victory? I mean, you talk to the right. people there. You know, you got the hood. You got a lot of poverty. Yeah, we can take an ass with him. Yeah. Joe yeah, Lewis definitely can take an ass with him. He can go to ass with him. And I got to say this, too. You look at the movie. If you look at these movies that they've had, they've had Selma and Hidden Figures, which mm-hmm. is a good movie. And mm-hmm. I, and I mean, I understand. Children need to see stuff like that so they can understand their history. But mm-hmm. if you look at the movie Hidden Figures, the character, did you see the movie? No, I didn't see it. I don't want to spoil it for you, but if you look at the movie, uh, the uh, Kevin Costner's character, basically, this is just a little, maybe a little spoiler alert, but Kevin Costner's character didn't even exist. And in the movie, you know, he was basically the white savior. Right, in the composite character. Right, mm-hmm. he's the white savior, and, uh, you know, I don't want to try not to tell you the whole movie, but you know there's racism in the movie, and of course it is. in particular, uh, Taraji P. Henson's character had to move, had to go to the bathroom, and she had to go all the way a mile from where she was working at NASA because that was the only colored bathroom on the NASA facility. So it was a mile away. So when he doesn't see her, that's when he decides to stand up and she explains in a rant why she was late or why she wasn't there when he needed her. That's when they decided to, you know, tear down the all-white bathroom. But the point of the story in that point is that it wasn't until your, your rights, the only reason why your rights were given to you wasn't at the point when the white man was it was getting in the way of his agenda. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the only reason why it happened. And they tried to make him the redeeming character and so forth, not taking it against, against him, but I'm just tired of seeing these movies now where you have, you know, the white savior that comes in and tries to, you know, I guess redeem the whole entire white race for racism. I mean, it is what it is. Just tell right, me. it happened. Right. Like, I, you know, I would love to see, you know what? I would love to see a movie on John Brown. Mm-hmm. I think that would be great. 
I, but I also would like to see a movie. I think the Nat Turner movie was great, a great movie, and I think young kids need to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was a shame how this brother got sabotaged by these, you know, whites, by these feminists groups, mm-hmm. you know, when he was acquitted already. And, and that's another thing. He was acquitted, he was found innocent, but you're still going back 15 years later. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, look at Bill Cosby. This is what, you know, Emmett Till. This is what they do to black men. They always try to make them sex predators try and destroy their career. Yeah. Yeah, and their lives. Destroy careers and lives. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all right, Brother Ron. All right, Brother Gavin, you take care. You have a great day. Yeah, you too, man. I will. Uh, Thank you so much. You keep doing what you're doing, and, um, you know, I look forward to doing another talk with you. No, you know, we'll be at, we'll be sooner than later. <laughs> okay. Too much stuff going on. Yeah, too much stuff going on. All right, man. Stay safe. You too. Yes, sir. Bye bye.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.